0: First of all, it's good to be with you. Um, my uh, my ability to be fully bilingual gets in my way uh, because I have the to celebrate the Spanish masses, and uh, Father Steve does not speak English. No, he speaks English. He doesn't speak Spanish. So anyway. But uh, he's doing very well. Uh, he will be coming back uh, to you and to me, uh, not next uh, this coming Sunday, Sunday of Thanksgiving, uh, but the Sunday after that we'll be back to, to normal. I understand that he had a, to have one of his toes amputated. Uh, and it's okay, I had one of my toes amputated. So... Um, you will now have two priests <laughs> with only 18 toes between them. So, uh, we used to say that about, um, well, those of you who are older remember Bishop Markowski, And uh, Bishop Markowski had only one eye, and the bishop before him, Bishop Knoll, while he was retired, was also blind in one eye. No, it was totally blind, totally blind. So all the priests used to say that we had two bishops and only one good eye between them. Most of you who know, uh, who have heard me before, know that I am quite uh, obsessed almost with etymologies. Uh, I find whenever I I start from an etymological understanding. Etymology is the history of how words developed. I find tremendous insight into um, into everything, but especially into our faith. And that has also been true, especially in religion. Um, they, the the the. One of the best understandings that I've had is when I studied the etymology of the word religion, which is turned out to be quite simple, but it gave me a a tremendous insight. The word religion comes, it has just two parts, re. Anytime you have re, it means do it again. So repaint, recook, rewrite, re-anything, Do it again. Ligion is a form of the word ligar. And those of you who speak Spanish know that a liga is a rubber band. Ligar is where we get the word league, like in the National League or the American League. It means connected, to connect. And so when you have the word religion, It actually means reconnect. Reconnect. Now, you might—I asked this question, but theology was the one that answered it for me. Why do we have to reconnect? Why not just connect? Why don't we just, instead of religion, why don't we just have religion? And the reason is theological. Religion, reconnect, is because it has a Christian background that we are disconnected. We were disconnected from God in what the church calls the sin at the origin. Or another way you may know it is original sin. But it's the sin At the origin. What what, what does that mean? Theology understands, Christian teaching understands, that the way that we are now as a human race is not the way it's supposed to be. Something has gone wrong with humanity and we don't have historical understanding. We have only the understanding that is given to us by a story. And the story is the story of Adam and Eve, okay, which is a story. The, the word Adam means uh, humankind, and Eve is translated as the mother of the living. So what Christian tradition tells you is that. Something has gone wrong with humankind. And you can tell, you can see the symptoms of it. We don't know the exact history of the sin at the origin, but we know what happened in the sense of its effect. And that's where I'd like to begin to talk with you today. The reason is that the parable... And the first reading are telling you about the disconnect. You see, let me just make this very cl- very clear: when Adam and Eve quote ate the fruit, it doesn't say an apple. It's an they ate the fruit of the knowledge of good and evil. The, in the ancient world, knowledge of good and evil, or knowledge of anything meant that you had power over it. So you could, you had the the power over good and evil. So when, when the serpent says to Eve and to Adam, God is scared that you will have power. The power that is being referred to is the power to make ultimate decisions about the nature of creation. That's basically it. It, Basically, you know, it would be like God saying, Don't do this. This is wrong as your creator. And if you had the power over good and evil, you could say, Thank you, God, but we disagree with you. This, you might say, is evil, but we want it to be good. So when you take it to its logical conclusion, what you're dealing with is that Adam and Eve want the power to self-create. Meaning that whenever you create something, you create with limits. You create, for example, you design a car, you design the type of fuel that it's supposed to run on. You can put whatever fuel you want into it, but it won't run very well. And so you set the limits. Well, Adam and Eve and humankind, the basic sin of humankind is the disconnection from our dependence on God as our creator. So we basically want to say we are in charge of ourselves and you don't have anything to say about it. That is original sin. And what happens is that you see the symptoms of that all over the place. All over the place. And see, the problem is that when you disobey the creation of God with, with disconnect, in other words, by saying, I'm in charge and I'll do what I want, and I'm not worried about you, we're not going to obey you, the moment you do that, you're not just disobeying God, you're disobeying reality because God, what God has created is reality. When you enter into disobeying God, you're not just doing something, oh, that God's going to be really angry or something like that. You are disobeying the nature of reality. And so that's why sin is an illusion, that you think you're in charge, but you're actually not. And and that's, you see it all over the place. Whenever you disobey, sin is, is an offense against reality. And there's an old saying that goes, reality bites. Reality bites. You disobey reality, you're not gonna get a little sh- shaking, you're, you're gonna feel it. Because if you, God is the one who set the laws of nature and the laws of everything. Disobey the law of nature and you're gonna get the consequences. You know, you say, I can fly and jump off a building, I guarantee you, you disobey the laws of nature, but you're gonna hurt. Because you disobeyed reality. Now, what does that basically have to do with the gospel today and with the first reading? Which, by the way, I just want to make a little plug here, uh, just very quickly. The, the, the readings that the church gives us are always, the first reading and the gospel reading always go together they were picked to go together. Okay, So when you read the first reading and you listen to the gospel, look for the connection because they were especially chosen for their connection to each other. The second reading is on a totally different track. The second reading is always a continuous reading of one of the epistles and has nothing necessarily to do with the first and third reading so that a, a priest or deacon can preach on either the first and third the first and third reading the gospel reading and the first reading or the second track which is Paul's usually reading in the center. So the the plug I want to give is what one of the things that has made tremendous difference for me is listening to a a video cast or a video that comes out every week from a Catholic uh, New Testament scholar by the name of Brant Petrie. And he puts out a reading, I mean, a video, 30 minute usually at the most, video. And he unpacks the first, the, the gospel reading, and then he goes back to the first reading and shows you how the, the first reading and the responsorial relate to that first reading. And I gather with a group of people every Thursday night on Zoom. So you don't even have to get out of your pajamas, okay? On Zoom every Thursday night at 7.15 and we listen to that video or watch the video and then have a small discussion. It only lasts an hour, but you would be amazed what what that does to you when you come to Mass because you already know the the connections that are going between the readings. So I just m- invite you to come to that Thursday nights 7:15 the Zoom link is on is on is in the bulletin and on the website. So what do we have this week? Well, notice what's going on now. We're at next Sunday is Christ the King, which is the end of the church year. The church does not run on what is on the calendar year, the secular calendar year. We run on the liturgical year. And the first Sunday of the liturgical year is the first Sunday of Advent, and that starts the Sunday after next, the first Sunday. I can't believe we're almost at Christmas. But, so the reason I'm saying that is because the readings now are closer to what we call judgment readings you can always you can begin to see that jesus is beginning to bring to bear the conditions under which we have been created he's telling us reality in stories and one of those realities that jesus is bringing home is this parable Now, the basis of this parable of the talents, by the way, that's where we get the word talent. Talent, by the way, um, is um, in the ancient world, one talent is equal to about three to four years of wages. So one talent is a large sum of money. And the reading is very, just very simple. Three different men, uh, are given three different talents, three different amounts, one, five, one, two, one, one. And it's interesting because it says they were given the talents according to their abilities. And we I won't retell you the story, you heard it, that the guy with the, the first two made money and the last one buried his talent. Now, I find it interesting because it shows us, shows us a side of Jesus which generally we don't like to see, and that is the side of Jesus that is um, hard. You know, we tend, and I think to, to a great degree correctly, to emphasize the mercy and the goodness of Jesus. But we forget that uh, there's a side that is pretty much no nonsense, and don't give me BS, okay? And by, by the way, BS just means beautiful stuff. I don't know what's in your head, but I, I can't help what you're thinking. So the the... The first, the, what I was saying is that Jesus in this is showing that in judgment, there's there's no BS. There's and there's a a fairly hard guy, okay, uh, judging you. So here's the interesting part: when the guy comes and has nothing to give back, notice how he's almost asking for pity. He's asking, he's saying, I was so afraid of you. I just didn't, didn't I, I was afraid of you. And so I took my talent, and I knew you were harsh, and I knew you, you, re, you reap where you did not sow, and I knew all of this, but I still, after, even knowing that, I still buried my talent. Huh. So sorry. But notice what the, 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 at first you might think, well, shouldn't the master have gone, oh, you poor guy, you poor guy. You shouldn't have been afraid of me. You know, you, you should have, I, I would treat you okay. But notice what the master says, it's really quite harsh. He says, you wicked and lazy servant. I mean, you talk about being politically incorrect, you know? You wicked and lazy servant. You knew that I, ju- that I was going to judge. You knew that, that this is something that I was expecting you to do better. He's accusing him of something that is called culpable ignorance. Culpable ignorance is when you know you should do something and you remain ignorant about it and you are responsible for your own ignorance because you did nothing to try and and remedy your own ignorance. And so the, the, the master is angry because... He knew that he had to do something. And, and then he pushes it. And he says, you could have at least put it in the bank, for God's sake. But at least I would have gotten some interest. And then he does the ultimate, I would say this, the ultimate politically incorrect issue. He violates the laws of equity. And what does he do? Take the talent that he has and give it to the one who has 10. For to the one who has more, more will be given. And to the one who has nothing, even what, those, what little he has will be taken away. Now, I want you to understand that violates our sense of fairness. You say, but he's already got 10. What does he need one more for? It's interesting, because notice, we're basically in original sin. We are telling God what to do. We are stating God, you must play fair according to our understanding of fairness. And God is saying, excuse me, who died and left you in charge? Nobody, because you were wrong, you did nothing. Now, what's the first thing that I learned from that? You know, in our current understanding, especially in the Western world, in the United States and in the Western world, we have this unconscious understanding, and sometimes conscious understanding, that we own ourselves. I want you to notice that is direct original sin. The whole notion of when people say my body, my choice, is a restatement of what happened with Adam and Eve. It is not your body. It's not your choice. It's not your life. It's not only your body that is not yours. Your talent is not yours. Notice the connection, the talent. God has entrusted you with your talents. They do not belong to you. Listen to the word, entrustment. You are trusted to do something. And the gospel parable is telling us fruitlessness is unacceptable. Unacceptable. And so the man is literally condemned, and he can say, but I didn't do anything wrong. I get all kinds of people, I hear a lot of people, but I'll be okay, Father, right? I'll go to heaven, right, right? Because, because I haven't killed anybody. I haven't done anything wrong. But notice, the gospel parable is fairly strong. You did nothing you did absolutely nothing and that is not an expectation that we're allowed to have god expects that you will do whatever you can to do something with your life now what does that mean it does not mean i already have seen this coming in many aspects People go, oh, what is my talent? I don't know what my talent is. What's my talent? I got to do something with my talent. Don't freak out. What you're, what's actually being asked of you is to be attentive. Be attentive to your surroundings and to who you are. What can you do with what you have been given to move forward The way of God's kingdom. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. What are you doing in your family? In your own self? In the way you talk to people? Are you conscious of leaving this world a little bit better? Just a little interest. Are you conscious of leaving this world a little bit better than you found it? And do you pay attention? Or is it all about you? Is it all about me, me, me? Because it isn't. Your life is not about you. Your life is about God and about producing the fruit of, that he has entrusted to you. Now, you might ask, okay, that makes sense, fathers. Now, what did that reading in the first the first reading have to do with a good wife and all that kind of stuff? And it's, it's, it's actually perfect. Notice what the description, the description of the good wife, the church chose it because it is the antithesis of the guy who did nothing. The guy who did nothing, buried his talent, did not make any effort. And listen to the the first reading, what what Proverbs is commending. When one finds a worthy wife, her value is beyond pearls. Her husband, entrusting his heart, has an unfailing prize. She brings him good, not evil. Now listen to the next part. She brings him, uh, she, she obtains wool and flax and works with her loving hands. Notice, she obtains wool and flax. It's not given to her. She goes out and gets it. And if you read Proverbs 30, because the, the, the lectionary did not want to make it super long. It's a whole list of stuff that this wife does. She buys property. She tries to make to, to keep her family well fed and gives to the poor. She does this and this. What is the reason for that reading? Because it is showing you the opposite of the worthless, lazy servant who's useless. That's what the church is trying to get at. And so, what the gospel is is challenging us today is to be able to say, look, folks, not doing anything, I mean, no, let me say it, making believe that all you have to do to be okay with God is to do nothing wrong. Is wrong. That is a product of the disconnect between you and God. That we, because we live in a democracy, folks, democracy is not the answer to our relationship with God. God's reign, next Sunday, you're going to celebrate Christ the King. You're not going to be celebrating Christ the president. Okay? We did not elect him. And frankly, he doesn't care if you don't vote for him. The king doesn't care if you vote. His power is absolute. He is the definer of reality. And so, what he is, the gospel is saying is... Your expectations of what a good life is all about, if it's all about you, is a product of original sin. Now, we understand it that way because democracy, democracy, as if democracy was able to set the laws between us and God. Democracy is, hey God, you can say whatever you want, but we're going to have a vote. Huh? No, no, no. It doesn't work that way. I, was like, I always like people who think, I, I'm, please understand, I, democracy is the worst, the worst of all forms of government except for all the others, okay? That, that's a Winston Churchill you know, kind of thing. But it does not define your relationship with God. Your relationship with God is defined by the reconnect you have to begin to connect yourself to God. And I always find this, in the, and then I'll shut up because I, I know I have a, I know I have this, this uh, reputation for very short homilies. So, um, um, I I always love it. Remember when Peter, when Peter um, says to Jesus, says, "I'm about to go to Jerusalem, and I'm about to be ra- arrested and killed." And Peter says to him, Oh, Lord, may that not happen to you. Now, isn't that nice? It's very nice. You know, if I told you I was going to Target after Mass and I was going to get kidnapped and killed, you'd say, Oh, Father, don't do that. And I would say, and I would say Thank you. But does Jesus turn around and say, Thank you, Peter? No. He says, Get behind me, you Satan. Why? Listen to the next line. You are thinking the way man does, not the way God does. Notice, your thinking, Peter's thinking, our thinking is a reflection of the disconnect of original sin. We think we're normal. We're not. We are disconnected. And even though you may, the only reason you think you're normal is because you look at another person who is just as screwed up as you are, okay? And you go, hey, you're screwed up, I'm screwed up, we're normal, okay? And the only normal person that ever existed was Jesus. And we crucified him because we couldn't stand it, okay? So we are, in Jesus is saying, look, you want to be my disciples? You want to get back to normal? You begin to understand that life is not yours, and the expectations in life are not about you. And you, learn to, you need to learn to change the way you think. Folks, that's the whole purpose of Christianity. Being a disciple of Jesus is about changing the way you think. It's not about coming to mass. Coming to mass is a good thing, but it's meant to help you to change the way you think the way you're prioritized, the word worship, the word worship, etymology, the word worship. Seriously, very, simple. Ship, ship means at the end of any word is the art or practice of something. So penmanship, authorship, workmanship, anything ship, the art or practice of something. W-O-R, were, is a shortened version of the word worth. So when you come to Mass and you worship God, why are you here? You're here every week to say, okay, God, I need to make sure that my priorities are your priorities. I need to make sure that my sense of what is worthwhile matches yours. That's, I come to Mass to make sure that my worship is in its correct order, putting you first, always. you got to learn to think like Jesus. That's the whole point of being a disciple of Jesus. Disciple is a student. If you don't study, if you don't try, you're not going to get it. Religion is always going to be just a group of laws that you have to follow and pretty nonsensical at that. And so today's gospel... We're we're getting to the end of the liturgical year. And Jesus is saying to us, you think you're in charge, you're not. And your expectations are not the expectations of God. Change, that's why the word repent, turn around and allow God to change the way you think. Fruitlessness is not acceptable in the kingdom of God. God bless.